0: Welcome to, To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. This morning, we're going to be in Isaiah 42, and the last time... The sermon was titled, Who Are You Going to Trust? And pretty much as I go through this incredible 66-chapter prophetic book, there's so many different characteristics of God that people need to know about. And last Sunday, I really try to hit home the fact that even if you don't know the Lord, that let me introduce you to this God you might not know, He's the God of all things, and you can trust Him. And two people came forward last Sunday to receive Jesus, and for a church our size, that's pretty pretty impressive. Uh, today, the message is it actually should have a question mark and an exclamation point: Messiah, the servant? Question and emphatic. And and I'm going to explain the reason for that is because, especially in the first century, when, well, when you go back to the Old Testament prophets, uh, it would speak about this Messiah as a conquering hero. Well, that's exciting to the Jewish people, but it would also speak about him as a suffering servant. Uh, So, it wasn't until the first century when Jesus actually started teaching and explaining his two comings, right, Uh, Did they understand this dual role of the Messiah. If we could put up the uh, servant's triangle, I'm fully convinced that if you get all 66 chapters' messages, even if you're not here, and you come back the next day and you hear it online for free, I'm convinced that you will be able to defend your faith to anybody. I put science in here. Uh, I've put timelines of eschatology when the Lord's going to, you know, he talks about his return. Uh, And today, this is the servant's triangle because what's happening is, or the servant's pyramid, what happens is as we go through Isaiah, he's going to speak about my servant, my servant, and it's really going to be contextual who he's talking about. Sometimes he's going to be speaking about an incredible servant, and then sometimes he's going to speak about a servant that's failed him. Obviously, he's not talking about the same person. So if we can start with the bottom uh, on the pyramid, Cyrus the Persian, he was an unbeliever. God used him to conquer Babylon and deliver his people and free them from this captivity. So God does use unbelievers. Uh, He manipulated Cyrus in a good way and made him a liberator, which is pretty neat. And he still uses people outside of the faith today to accomplish his will. When we go up, we find Israel over here, now Israel, like Christians today, um, unfortunately in Israel there was a Jewish culture, and not everybody was completely sold out for God. But the ones that, there, there was many that were. So you had this kind of combination of people that sometimes they would accomplish the goals that God had as His servant, and sometimes they didn't. We continue further up is the godly remnant. So within Israel were those that were completely sold out for God. They were, they were sinners, just like you and me, uh, but they really had a heart for the Lord and accomplishing His will. And in that godly remnant, I put in individuals such as Abraham and Jacob. Again, they sinned, they failed, but for the most part, they were really focused on their relationship with the living God. And of course, at the top of the pyramid, the most important is Jesus Christ. So today, we're actually going to look at the servant, meaning Jesus. We're going to start out with that. Then he's going to move contextually to the servant that failed him, which was Israel, and how Jesus actually cr- came and fixed what they messed up. Now, I have to put this up here as well. Since Jesus you know, died on the cross for our sins, we trust in him, we know we have assurance of eternal life. Uh, but in, in addition to that, Jesus rose from the dead, of course. He was resurrected. He ascended into heaven, and since Jesus... There are Jews and Gentiles, I would be considered a Gentile believer, that serve him. Now, for some, this is a little foreign. It could be the teachings, it could be the Christian culture, but listen, if we're called to be followers of Christ, we're called to be God's servants. That rubs some people the wrong way. Uh, Some, they have a lifestyle in the Western culture, and the whole thing about servant, they haven't gotten yet. But if we're truly a servant of God, we ask him, Lord, how can I be a part of your master plan? You know, that's really our desire. So servant, you know, we can sit back and look at the sermon, but every once in a while we're going to see a reflection unto ourselves as we read the Bible and say, do I measure up as a servant? Do I do anything to be a part of God's great plan in saving humanity? Very important. So we're going to look at six parts, and uh, I'm actually going to slow down these chapters in, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s Maybe some I'll do in two or three parts, but I really want to pull out the New Testament fulfillment. Remember, we're reading Isaiah, and you're going to think of Jesus, 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 but at the time that Isaiah was wrote, it, it was written, it was several centuries before Christ came to the earth. So let's put that in perspective. It, became, it, it makes the book more magnificent when we think about it that way. So if we could jump in, Isaiah 42... Isaiah, God speaking through Isaiah, says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. This is God speaking. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged. Till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. So the first part is Behold the Messiah. Again, prophecies about Jesus before he even came to earth. A few things, I'll go through these, these things quickly because they're common sense. His character, right? The father said that his soul delights in the son because the son is fully God and he's perfect, he's the perfect servant, he's sinless. Continue, the Father puts his spirit in, on Jesus. And we know on the earth, if you read the Gospels, Jesus and the Holy Spirit worked hand in hand to accomplish these goals. And also, he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Now, we're really going get, to start getting into the scripture of Gentile inclusion. right? The Gentiles were introduced to God. They were introduced to his word, his law. They were introduced to salvation. Right? Very important. I'm going to come back to that. Let's look at his methodology speaking about Jesus. It says he won't cry out or raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. That doesn't mean that Jesus, these are metaphors, doesn't mean that Jesus never elevated his voice, right? But it means that Christ's ministry wasn't to be obnoxious, to be ostentatious, to claim his rights, but to come in humility. And we have to ask ourselves when we listen to some preaching, do they say the things that are reflective in Scripture, or do they kind of go outside those those boundaries? Very important. What are we listening to? He says, "A bruised reed he will not break, or a smoking flax he will not quench." These are things that are looked at as gentile, or excuse me, gentle. <laughs> I juxtapose the I and the L. They're gentle, but they're um, they're fragile. They're weak. Um, when Jesus came to the earth. He was incredibly powerful. He's the one with a, with a word. He could cast out demons. But at the same time, with a disabled person, he would put his hand out to touch them and help them up and heal them. So this is this Jesus with these dual roles. Uh, he came for the downtrodden. He came for those that, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about it, but he, talked to, he came for those that had emotional issues, that looked at themselves as very low in life, and he came to, to elevate them. He came to show them that God loved them. And it's the same thing today. You know, in any church, you can find a dozen people or more that have come in with some type of heartache or heartbreak, some type of burden that they're carrying emotionally. And for some reason, you know, in our culture, I guess in church culture, people don't want to talk about it. But don't be ashamed. We, we fall. Sometimes we break bones, and sometimes our heart breaks. <laughs> so this is, if you're new to the Bible, this is your God. If you've come in here thinking very lowly of yourself, consider Jesus. Consider him, please. Um, we look, we continue to read. It says that he's going to establish justice in the earth. The coastlands shall wait for his law. Now the coastlands, and as we go through, if, you, if you're getting Sunday after Sunday originally he spoke about the coastlands in, uh, in former chapters of you know, the, the far reaches of the, the Middle Eastern area and really the Gentiles, you know, the people from distant lands. He's saying, look, come, you know, I'm for you as well. Uh, he's also, what we have to n- notice too here is, and again, if you're new to the Bible, it's going to take some getting used to, uh, Christ came the first time right, to redeem our souls, our spirit, to save us. So that uh, upon death we would immediately be ushered into God's presence, into everlasting life. He's going to come the second time to redeem the physical creation. And that's actually in our future. One is in our past, one is in our future. But when you read some of this, remember it's, remember it's prophetic, it actually covers from the first cover, uh, coming all the way to the second coming. Okay? This is Christ's mission to bring justice. And, and we look around the planet and we see that there really is a lack of justice. So I'm certainly looking forward to this justice that he's going to usher in. Um, I'm just going to jump to the New Testament in Matthew 12. A great case example. Now we're fast forwarding uh, several centuries to the first century from the time of Isaiah. And in verse 14, Matthew 12:14, it said, Then the Pharisees, or the religious leaders, went out and took counsel against him, Jesus, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. And he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, now we're going back referencing what we're just covering this morning. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will trust. So, could Jesus have fought off the religious leaders if they came to attack him? Of course. But that wasn't the Messiah's goal. He didn't come as a conquering warrior the first time. He came as a suffering servant. So you can see this kind of play out here. And this was the confusion that a lot of people had at the time when they were examining Jesus. But he's not conquering Rome. What's going on here? So there was a little bit of an issue until they really understood his teachings and his eschatology or speaking about his second coming. But Jesus was a servant. Listen, a lot of people today, uh, they want to get promoted in the world. Some, some do it in the church, like in, a, in a maybe a, a larger organization, a Christian organization. And they don't do it with the right heart. They try to claw their, their way to the top, or they do it in the business field. Jesus taught us, if you want to be great, then be a servant. You know, in the police department for 25 years, there were some supervisors I really had a hard time taking orders from, and there were some that I did it joyfully. Uh, some just checked with their subordinates. They, they pooled information. Uh, There were others that ruled with an iron fist, and they don't get it. You know this pride that wells up in a person when they get a promotion. Jesus came to say, "If you want to be great, be a servant. Be a servant, especially in a church setting." Right? Uh, We talked about that actually in the men's group on Saturday, second block, verse five, says, "Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out." This is important. And I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole thing again, but when I talked about the little physics aside, about the universe and the expanding universe, um, he keeps speaking about the heavens that are stretched out. And it's a cool thing when you look in Genesis, how he instantly spoke everything into being. And you could see you know, all the, the planets in the universe taking their trajectories uh, out in the universe. I mean, it's pretty powerful stuff. It says, Who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Now remember, he's still speaking about the Messiah before the Messiah comes to the earth. And will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. As a light to the Gentiles. To open blind eyes. To bring out prisoners from the prison. Who, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. That's important, right? The Father speaking. I can't give my glory to anyone. There's nobody like God. We saw that in the previous chapters. But Jesus shares his glory. We'll come to that. Nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So two out of six is the Father's backing of his servant, the Messiah, right? Right? You wonder why when Jesus called the disciples, uh, even outside of the 12, many people just dropped what they were doing and followed him because they were observant Jews. They read, they knew Isaiah. A lot of them had it memorized. So when he came and they could see the mannerisms and they can see the things that he did and, and the timing, they were like, oh, this is, this is him that, that God spoke about in, in the scripture. But a few things, you know, this is the Father's credentials. He made the creation. Uh, he made the universe. He put breath and spirit into people. That's interesting. Uh, I, as a police officer, I was 25 years as a road officer. I didn't really pursue any promotions because I was also a pastor and I, I needed my Sundays. So I was on a road for 25 long years. Did a lot of CPR, At home in my office, there's like medals, CPR saves. But you know what? I didn't save anybody. That was up to the Lord. I've blown into a lot of lungs over the years. Some people came back, some people didn't. And I couldn't figure out who was coming back and who wasn't. So it was very nice that the department recognized me for heroic things, but it wasn't me, you know? You realize that since the day you're born, the day you come out of your mother, you take that first breath of air and you breathe constantly every day for years and decades until you finally pass away. That's an amazing thing. You're sleeping, you're breathing, right? Without you breathing, you die. God put breath into people's lungs, that whole issue. And if you ever had a, a collapsed lung, I know people who have, it's terrifying. You all of a sudden realize or you, you get held onto the water too long and you start, it's a panic situation. You need that breath. So this is the God that we serve. He can make, make uh, from the, the dust of the earth, he can make a human being, right? Adam, and he put breath into his lungs. He put a spirit into men and women. A spirit, which is the, the non-physical part of us, right? That, that lasts forever. This is, this is his resume, right? This was a job resume. Pretty impressive. So, of course, he calls Jesus in righteousness. He holds his hand, um, meaning he's, He's with them the whole time. Uh, He says, I'll keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. In other words, everything that Jesus did on the earth was backed by the Father and in concert with the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We also see a lot of light and blind metaphors that are used here that we kind of got to get used to. Verse 7, it says, Jesus came to open the eyes of these Gentiles, these idol-worshiping Gentiles, and in the previous chapters, we see the idols that they would make, the little gods, and they would bow down and worship them. In American culture, we could laugh. There's people today that worship money, that worship their lifestyles, that worship their own achievements. It's an idol, and it's foolish. You know, God wants us, He wants us to have Him first place in our life and put everything else in priority. He opened the eyes of the blind in general. He brought out the prisoners from prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Now, this didn't mean that Jesus was a revolutionary and tonight there's going to be a jailbreak and he's going to break everybody out of prison. (laughs) He was speaking specifically about those that are imprisoned spiritually to sin and to self. Sin and to self. Sin is what causes us to physically die. The genetic code that God put into the human race because of sin, you know, in, initially our first parents lived hundreds and hundreds of years. But the whole sin and the, and the change in the landscape and the change in creation because of sin caused the lifespan to shrink. Because of sin, we die. What, what the Lord came to do, what Jesus came to do, was to free us from that death. Free us from eternal punishment. He also came to free us from self. I don't know about you, but to me, self is a hard taskmaster. We put burdens on ourself that God doesn't put on us. Our culture is so concerned with how we look, you know, what people, when people ask us our occupation. I mean, these are so, such important things in our culture that people strive for like those little rats on the wheels they just keep going and going and going and going and usually when they're done they're tired and they haven't really moved anywhere you can do that your whole life you can chase after things left and right but at the end of the day where are we going to be in eternity? (laughs) not to keep using the same (laughs) analogies of my former profession but I saw a lot of people die when they were young teenagers, twenties, etc. we just don't know Freak accidents, um, strange things. Uh, seen a lot over the years. There's no guarantee of the next day. So be assured that, that because that you, if you trust in Christ who died for your sins, be assured that when you take your last breath, you're immediately going to be in heaven with God. No intermediate stage. So prison to sin and to self. People can look at the Bible quickly and make the wrong assumptions. But remember, God is much more important. He's much more concerned with our everlasting spirit, and we're going we're to spend eternity than what we look like. He really doesn't care about that stuff. As a matter of fact, we're going to cover a portion in Scripture where it says that even Jesus, when he came, he had no form comeliness. Nobody would look at him and go, oh, he's gorgeous. <laughs> Jesus didn't come as a Hollywood celebrity. came as just an average-looking person, and we'll cover that. Verse 8, he says, My glory I will never give to another. But let's turn to John 17. And again, this is for folks who, they wonder, did Jesus really claim to be God? Well, certainly he said it outright. And he also, it was also implied. In John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays for what he has to do to go to the cross. He prays for a lot of things. So, the Son is in commune with the Father. And in verse 4, Jesus is ready to go to the cross, and he says, I have glorified you on the earth, Father, right? I have finished the work which you have given me to do, the perfect servant. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus recounting when the Father, Son, Holy Spirit were involved in creation, creating the universe, creating mankind, men and women, And Jesus temporarily took that position, I guess you could say kenosis, uh, came down to the earth in the form of a man to suffer a brutal death so that our sins could be sacrificed for, so that we can have everlasting life. So Jesus now is speaking to the Father. He's got to do this, but He's also going to go back into glory after His resurrection. And he's also recounting the, the glory that the Father and Son had before mankind messed everything up. Pretty interesting. Now you could say, well, I don't know how much that proves. Well, just think if a human said that, if a human again, I'll use myself as an example. You'd think I was I've, I've gone bonkers. Yeah, this is not real. And just if I was to say, to just I'm in praying before we start service and say, you know what, Father, before the world was, you know, it was you and me and. I had glory, and you—you'd be like, "You're crazy!" <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can't take any of the things that Jesus said and attribute them to human beings. It's just not possible. Verse nine, he speaks about new things that are going to happen. The former things have come to pass. New things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Observing Jews were befuddled. We even see this in uh, Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter fifteen. When Jesus came to, I mean, th- there were Gentiles that were always, you know, left their idols, you know, in the Old Testament. Uh, there was even uh, Gentiles that were, that, you know, believed in the true God and they were in the line of the Messiah. But this kind of wholesale influx of the Gentiles, as a matter of fact, much of the church, t- church today is largely Gentile and not Jewish, to the Jewish people. This was an enigma. This was, uh, how is this going to work out? So God is speaking about these things before they happen. It's really pretty exciting. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 31, I've read this a few times, 31 through 34, deep into the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah the prophet, God says, I'm going to make a new testament. Most people don't know this. I'm going to make a new covenant, a new testament, a new agreement and it's going to be different than what you're doing now. You know, you've you got to read the law, and, and I've got to know the law because I read it. God's like, there's going to be a time where it's going to be put in your heart. It's going to be a different dispensation. So the, the New Testament is spoken about in the Old Testament. Pretty powerful stuff. A lot of people don't know that. Verse 10, he continues. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, You coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing, let them shout from the top of the mountains, let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Again, code speak for the ends of the earth, for the largely Gentile civilizations. Three out of six is this new song because of the Messiah. Now, Pastor Paul taught uh, on Wednesday nights the Psalms. He went through all the Psalms. And you see a lot of times sprinkled through there, uh, the Psalmist would say, you know, sing a new song. And that would usually indicate something new was going on. God was changing directions. And it was very exciting. Here it appears that the Gentiles who were spoken about in chapter 41, who were once idol worshipers, are being included into the family of God. And this is really, really exciting. Sing a new song. You know, Jesus speaks about the wineskins as a, as a metaphor, right? Or a parable. And he speaks about us being like the wineskins. And when wineskins are new, they're very pliable. They stretch, they expand to receive the wine and, and the fermentation. But eventually the wineskins get old and tough and dried out. And if you try to put new wine in it, indicative of the Holy Spirit, they end up bursting. You know, we have to be very careful... The Jewish people were guilty of it, and sometimes the Christian culture can be guilty of it too. We want to hold on to things in the past. Well, you know, it was done this way like my grandparents did, or it was, you know, our denomination did this, and we've always done it this way. Sometimes God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to show us something new, a new way to reach people. Now, don't get me wrong, the guidelines have to be according to the Scripture. We can't just, you know, do whatever we want. The Word is our, is our guide. See what I'm saying? But th- this was something new that was happening that the Jewish people had to get used to. You know, they, they, they looked at some of them as, oh, these idol worshipping, blaspheming Gentiles. But they had to understand that God was going to do a new work, He was going to open their eyes. Many believe that this new song will be sung in the millennial kingdom in our future. But we'll continue. Verse 13. Now we, see, we start to see a change here in the the characteristics of, of God and the Messiah and all this kind of stuff. So verse 13, The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He was just gentle that we read about. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. I'm going to stop there for a minute. God is still holding his peace. peace, And the Bible says it's because he's long-suffering. He wants to see as many people come into the kingdom as possible. He wants to see as many people come to salvation. But eventually, justice has to be meted out on the earth. And I just did a little research before I came here, uh, a little more research, and I found that, and I heard these things, and I wasn't sure if it was completely true. The astounding numbers of people who are being enslaved today in the world. It's really sick. Thankfully, in our country, we got rid of that evil. But the, there's a whole website dedicated to this. People are being uh, kidnapped and trafficked because of their physical labor. In Asia, in Africa, in North Korea. And the numbers are in the f- uh, right, right around the tens of millions, some high as 40 million. And then there's the sex slavery. This is a sick, disgusting planet. This is what, sin ha- what happens when sin is allowed to run its course. God eventually is going to stop it, and he's going to institute judgment, especially on these higher-up people who are making to the tune collectively $150 billion on slavery in the world. I mean, there's a lot of things people protest in this country, but this is something we really should get behind, because it's, it's happening in our lifetime, okay? So God is saying, I have held my peace a long time. He's very patient. I've been still and restrained myself. Now I cry like another metaphor. I cry like a woman in labor and will pant and gasp at once. He's very passionate about this. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands and I will dry up the pools. But look at this little... um, Vignette or a side in the center of this. He goes, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. Again, the spiritually blind. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them. Even in the book of Revelation, with all these powerful judgments that happen upon the earth, there's, there's periods of, of hiatus where God allows the angel to preach the gospel to the, to the world. And people are still getting saved through this time. He's merciful even in the middle of judgment. He says, I'll make the darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, you are our God. So four out of six is the Lord will bring judgment. And this is The rabbis would have read this. The teachers would have read this. The Old Testament scholars would have read this. And when Jesus came in the first century, they were so fixated on that part. They they wanted to be free from the the Roman yoke. So the fact that Jesus wasn't zapping Roman soldiers, some of them turned away from him. You know, and I have to say this. Sometimes people do that in prayer today, and I've seen it a few times, where (laughs) we pray about something, And God doesn't make it happen. And then people are are disillusioned by God or they're turned off by him. I'm going to say this a few times, but not for nothing, God doesn't have to check with us before he runs his universe. And again, that's a problem in our culture. There's a a stain on our culture of self. And I, I hear it, and I probably said this before I got saved, maybe selective memory or selective amnesia, but people say, well, you know, God should do this. And you know, if I was God, I would do that. And a loving God wouldn't do this. Again, I don't remember him checking, having to check with us our enlightened culture before he decides how he's going to do things. We have to make that very clear. So the, it's not just the, the first century uh, rabbis and teachers. People can do it today. Right? They wanted that conquering Messiah role. But Jesus said, that's not coming till later. So all these things are going to happen. Uh, judgment and justice. Very interesting subjects. I'll just give you a, a brief discussion. I, one person specifically comes to mind. So the person comes to me and they say, and I'm not, I'm not putting the person down at all. Please don't misunderstand. It's just that, again, this idea of self, this idea of, make it, again, you made, they made little idols, little gods, we can make God in our own image by going out there and spouting off about how God should do things. I wouldn't say that, you know what I'm saying? Knowing what I know now, I wouldn't say that. But this person uh, was concerned about justice. And I explained, yes, and why is God waiting so long? And I talk about his patience and his long-suffering. And I say, but the good news is that you know, all those dictators, all those evil people that did all those evil things and got away with it and died... Check this out God has, is going to have this in, in the future this white throne judgment where he 's going to pull up their bodies out from the grave, reattach it to their spirit, and they 're going to stand he 's going to hold high court if their sins haven 't been paid for, so all those dictators that you 're concerned about, all these evil people that seem to get away with it they 're not going to get away with it. The same person was was horrified when I told them that I said, "Wait a minute, man. you just talked about you wanted justice now." There will be a future time where God will institute justice. Yeah, but I don't like that either. Let me read a, a scripture to you, uh, Luke seven thirty-one through 35, just not to get caught up in this kind of mindset. Jesus It's under Jesus criticizes his generation. The Lord said, Jesus said in Luke seven thirty-one, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? Now, I would say it's today as well. They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist, now Jesus does a commentary on his generation, acting like children. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. John the Baptist was serious business. He was eating grasshoppers and locusts, lived off the land, probably looked like a wild man, had a leather belt, and he came out to society and said, you need to repent. Pretty serious. They said, he has a demon. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. Verse 34, the son of man, Jesus speaking about himself, has come eating and drinking, what John didn't do. And you say, look, a glutton and a winebibber, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by all her children. So Jesus came not sinning, but he spent time with sinners. He invited them over. He went to their house. What was he trying to do? You've got to be careful about some of these ministries that imitate sinful conditions to win the sinners. No, 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 Jesus never did that. He never changed who he was. But he mixed to, to, to the outcasts of society so that he could get them saved too. But you know what the people did? Well, we don't like John. Well, we don't like you. Is there a choice C? There is no choice C, right? Right? Again, God doesn't have to check with us before he does business. And that's what we need to understand. Continuing on, verse 18, he says, now there's a different servant here. Hear you deaf and look you blind. Is he making fun of disabled people? Of course not. Speaking about spiritually. And this is what happens when people take the Bible out of context. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? or deaf as my messenger whom I send, who is blind as he who is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things but you do not observe, opening the ears but he does not hear. Right? Um, I think one more is, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake, he will magnify the law and make it honorable. So we're... I've always been taught, and it was hard in the beginning, I've always been taught in the, in the prophetic books... Because the Lord sees all of time the same way and we see linear time. That we have to get used to the way he thinks so we can understand what he's doing. And he'll, he'll be on a subject like the, the triangle or the pyramid. He'll be on the, the faithful servant. Then he'll go to the unfaithful servant. Then he'll go back to the faithful servant again. It just takes a little time, but you'll get the hang of it. So five, God's spiritually deaf and blind servant. Who's he speaking about? He's speaking about Israel because the Messiah knew everything. He was fully God. He had no fault or flaw. Now, Jesus spoke of the blind religious leaders. If we can go to John 9, John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus would often debate with the religious leaders. Interesting. Verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world... That those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind too? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. You could claim ignorance. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. And you wonder why they wanted to kill him. Because... He didn't mince words, you know. He never took a public opinion poll before he decided what to do. He did it, and everything he did was righteous. It's been said, there is no blindness like willful blindness. One of the Messiah's functions as the the good servant, the perfect servant, was to clean up what the unfaithful servant didn't do. So Jesus had a lot. His itinerary was probably very huge. However, at the top of the list was that he came. He said, I came to this world to die. And right around the age of 33 in his human body, he was crucified so that we could have everlasting life. That was at the top. But there were a whole bunch of other things that he did as well. Don't miss that. You know, I heard Jesus was a good man. Yeah, we we revere him too as a prophet. Yeah, we worship a lot of gods and I have a little statue of Jesus and I put him with all my other gods. He doesn't want to be up there. He's either, he's got to be first place. He's, he's God, first place. Very important. Now, I would just say this as well. If you've come in here today and you, you know, you've never really, I don't know, known much about the Bible, heard much about the Bible, I've got to be honest with you, I'm competing with preachers who tell you whatever you want to hear. I'm competing with preachers that, and it, it's a really good scheme. If you can make people happy with your preaching, they'll give you more money. That's what I'm competing with. I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm not going to fill a stadium any anytime soon. It's just not going to happen. Neither are my other pastors and elders. Please. If you've come in here and this is your first exposure to God's word, even if it's a little hard to digest or it's a little rough to hear, it's the truth. Just like I said last Sunday, I mean if you, you know, if if you came in here and and you were ready to sit down and I saw a bad support and I knew you were going to sit down and fall, maybe break your back, I would yell at you. It's not that I'm trying to be mean, but I would try to stop you from sitting in that pew. What God does through his word sometimes shocks the conscience to get our attention. Otherwise, it's... I'm up here like Charlie Brown's teacher. And you're thinking about what you gotta do all week. We gotta pay attention to what the Word says because it's truth. Everything that Jesus said was truth. So, the blind, God said, he wants them to see. The spiritually blind. I was blind, too, for most of my life. At 26, my eyes were opened. That was my epiphany. Little by little, a little bit of light came in each time, a little bit of light. It's almost like cataracts that were getting fixed, you know. And, And things started to become clearer spiritually. And then it finally gave my heart to the Lord. Hopefully today is somebody's day. I don't know. God knows and you know. Continuing on, verse 22. It would be a shame if I read this about people in the first century or the seventh century B.C. when the living word is also meant in 2018 to do the same thing. It's not just for them to open their eyes, it's for us too. Verse 22, last few verses. But this is a people robbed and plundered, more metaphors. All of them are snared or trapped in holes. They're hidden in prison houses. They are for prey and no one delivers, for plunder and no one says restore. Sin has devastating consequences. We dig ourselves a pit that we can't get out of. It's only the Lord who's got his hand at the edge of the pit stretched out and say, take my hand. Yeah, but I want a rope. I got my hand. No, but I want a hovercraft. Here. I want a hot air balloon. Take my hand. <laughs> and people do that. This is the Lord. And they want another way. Verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the, first, for the time to come? Who gave Jacob, also meaning Israel, for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around. Another metaphor. Yet he did not know, and it burned him, and he did not take it to heart. So sin has consequences. But you know what? For every problem that we make for ourselves, God always makes a way out. That's the beautiful thing. We can't save ourselves. You know, God sent His only Son into the world to die for our sins. There was no other way to pay for it. So here we see God recounting a tragedy. His own people strayed and put themselves in, in, well, in literal captivity but also spiritual captivity, spiritual prison due to sin and wickedness. And I have to say this, and this is tough, especially in this area, because we're so enlightened, and I say that, you know, like a wise guy, I say that, kidding around, that today, nothing is sin anymore. Nothing's sin anymore. Whatever you do, it's fine. Whatever you want to do, plurality your way, my way. I'm going to not go into detail, but I'm going to touch on this. There are now groups that are coming out, and they have a lot of members, who want, and this has happened in some places in Europe, they want the age of, the, of a minor to be completely removed because they want to have love relationships with children. It's disgusting. No laws about sexuality because it's all about love, isn't it? Man, that word love has been butchered so bad. I know what the Bible says about love. There's other groups that want to have love with animals. And I'm not talking 100 people. This is a sick world. As, <laughs> I'll say it again. 25 years as a patrolman, I've seen some weird and sick stuff that I still remember. We would see the dark side of humanity. It's ironic that I'm up here because I was exposed to the light and I can make that contrast between the dark and the light. Dark meaning in a spiritual sense. Come, Jesus, come. If you think that this world is great and you want to stay here forever, you're blind. You're blind. I've been in sin. I lived a sinful lifestyle and I thought I had the job I wanted, the car that I wanted, big deal. You know, my first house in my 20s, it was a fixer-upper. I thought I was the man. But I was so empty. I was so unfulfilled. And I was so in sin. It was only until my eyes were opened did things start to change, to have true fulfillment and true purpose in life. Verse 25, the sin of the people was likened to a conflagration, a fire that's just burned out of control. And the people got burned, it says, and they didn't know it. Why did I get burned? Why is my my flesh melting off? They were so desensitized like people in our culture. The more you watch TV as Christians, and the less you're in your Bible, you're going to be double-minded. You're going to be unstable. Well, how come this isn't working out for me? How come that's not working out for me? Are you giving God your all? And I say this passionately. I say this lovingly. I don't say this condemningly. Because every day I have to repent for my own sins. So I'm not concerned about what you're doing. Trust me, i got enough to handle my life. But the good thing is that the Lord paid for my sins, as He has for many people here. My concern, my worry is that there's a fire coming again. And in our culture, a lot of people are going to get burned. They just don't get it. And that's why there's preachers. That's why there's preachers. Unfortunately, like I said, we here are competing with those that will tell you anything that you want to hear, make you feel great on Sunday so that you write them a check. It's not how we roll here. God's desire is for people to repent, to turn to Him. Because He's the only one. Not because He's controlling and people... He's controlling, He's this. He's not. It's because He has the answer. He has the solution. We can't make a mess, humankind, of His heaven the way we did on this earth. It just doesn't work that way. He wants us to restore the broken relationships due to sin by trusting His Son, Jesus. He wants us to open our eyes. He wants us to be free from the prison of sin and self. And the only way that's going to happen is to put your trust in Christ. When He returns, we're either covered in His grace or we're not. And the beautiful thing for us, it's like some self-effort thing. It's difficult. But His way is so so much better. It's efficacious. It, it's grace. It's, we won't face judgment. We won't face punishment. Just like in the Passover, it'll be passed over us because we're covered like the children of Israel. We're covered in the blood of the Lamb. We'll be covered in the blood of Christ. And that's what we want for everybody here. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to, to Every Generation Let am trying to